Hi, friend. It's Brittany Moses and Ranella Kaligithi, and you're listening to Speaking Our Minds, the podcast that brings you honest and nuanced conversations around mental health, holistic wellness, and the real complexities of what it means to be human in the challenges of today's world, where we have fun, fascinating, and meaningful discussions around how to live a more insightful, connected, and whole life from the inside out. Joined by guest professionals, thought leaders, and some of my friends and those with lived experience. As always, we ask that you keep in mind that the views and opinions shared here are respectively held by each individual and is not a substitute for professional care or an alternative to seeking personal help from your clinician or provider and is ours to discern. We're so glad you're here. Follow the conversation on Instagram at Speaking Our Minds Pod and sit with us because we're diving in. This podcast episode is brought to you by WeShare by UHSM, a unique healthcare membership on a mission to create holistic wellness for the mind, body, and spirit. I'm honored to partner with UHSM and its community of faithful members. Together, we plan to create more awareness and programs around mental health and the role it plays in our overall balanced health. If you or someone you know is frustrated with their current health care, I encourage you to inquire about membership options at www.weshare.org or call 1-800-900-8476. Welcome back to Speaking Our Minds. This is Ranella and Ranella. Brittany is not here with me today, sadly. This is the first episode that I am doing solo since we started co-hosting together, which has been an incredibly wonderful experience. And we just thought that I would share a little bit about myself and help you get to know me a little bit more since I am still a bit new. And it's just been so great getting to know you all over Instagram and being able to share our hearts here on this podcast. So Thank you again for coming back week after week. I hope you're having a wonderful new year. You know, I just think December in general is just so filled with like funky feelings and emotions. And, you know, the holidays, there's all kinds of just family issues and pressures and emotions based on the end of the year. And then we get into January and here we are a few weeks into January. And I hope you're feeling a little more settled Um, and hopefully this episode is going to help you feel even more confident and calm within your nervous system. Today, we're going to be talking about how to eliminate self-hate and to start loving yourself. And this is just a really, really, um, I don't know, it just, this is such a meaningful topic to me because I spent decades thinking about myself in a certain way that just wasn't true. And I think a lot of us go through that experience. And so I'm hoping to kind of set you free a little bit from your prison. And hopefully you can go into this coming year feeling really good and feeling a little bit more capable and a little bit more worthy. And so in this episode, we're going to talk about um, my story. I want to share with you some of the stories um, that I adopted that were unhelpful to me and how I adopted them. And we'll talk about how we tend to adopt stories growing up that are helpful or harmful to us. I'm also going to share with you um, how to begin to start taking steps to teach ourselves a different story, begin loving who we are today, how we find ourselves today, even if we don't feel like we're perfect, which, um, spoiler alert, we're never going to be perfect, but how to actually start having that self-respect and gaining that self-confidence and just being able to view ourselves in a light that is calm and positive and uplifting. And so let's start off with my story. I was born in Berrien Springs, Michigan, April 2, 1990, to uh, wonderful parents, my father Samuel and my mother Rowena, and my dad was a pastor. 
my mom was in business, so she was a manager at a local restaurant, and my dad was actually in school going to seminary, and I already had a 17-month-old older sister waiting for me <laughs> when I was born. So I grew up as the middle child. About five years later, my, my younger sister was born, but I had a good five years where I was the youngest, where I got all that attention. And to be honest, growing up in Michigan, then moving to Ohio until I was around 11 or 12, I mean, I had a pretty simple, calm, quiet upbringing, and I'm really grateful for that. My dad pastored three churches in Ohio, and we went to a school that had 30, maybe 32 people total from K through eighth grade. So I had exactly two boys in my class, like in my actual grade from first through fifth grade. I had two boys in my class. There was three of us and we had ages or grades first through fifth grade in one room and then sixth through ninth, uh, eighth grade in the second room. And so it's just, I don't know if any of you can relate to that. Super small town vibes, church school vibes. I mean, very very sheltered, that's for sure. And sometimes in these small schools, they're, they have all the pros and cons, right? Um, it's, it's a nice sheltered environment. Um, you know, the parent, the, the teachers and parents are really involved. Um, but for me, looking back, I realized that I was just a, a little bit more shy of a kid. My older sister was very social, very outgoing, very confident. She's a Scorpio, you know, just like out there and really uh, just such a born leader. And so I grew up in such a wonderful family and going to this church school was also great, except that I realized, you know, looking back, I really didn't have a lot of friends. I had one best friend. She didn't go to my school. She went to my church. So I saw her every week, every couple weeks. Um, but at school, I started noticing something and I actually remember feeling it in around second grade. And I would notice that when we would go out to recess, all of the younger girls, right? Because I only had two boys in my class in my grade, all the younger girls and all the older girls would rush out to go play with my older sister. And that might not sound, you know, really like a big thing, but to a second grader and it happening every single day. Now looking back, I realized how much that taught me this story of I'm alone and I'm unwanted. And uh, that was not anyone's fault at all. It was just life. And I would see these little girls flocking to my sister. I saw the whole school flocking to my sister and I was shy, I was quiet, I didn't have as much to say, I was not as confident. And of course, I kind of developed this story about myself that no one really wanted me and no one found me interesting and there must be something wrong with me. And maybe as I'm sharing the story, you can also kind of think back to maybe moments in your childhood, maybe times when you were younger that you started adopting these small little subconscious stories that slowly started building this foundation of your life and of your subconscious. I'm unwanted, I'm alone, there must be something wrong with me, and no one wants me. And this happened all throughout, you know, up until fifth grade when I was at that church school. And the, the kids were really sweet. I definitely had some friends and some people um, that would want to come hang out with me. And, but in my mind, I started creating that narrative and this happened at church as well. All the kids at church, you know, just really flocked to my sister. She was so, so famous and so social and everyone just wanted her. And it just was such a deep contrast to my melancholy. Like I was a melancholy kid. I remember my parents used to kind of like laugh and make fun of me because, they would see the school bus go by and I was always at the window, just looking out the window. This is okay. So this is now in, in California. I moved to California 
when I was 12 years old, 11 years old, actually, my family all moved out to California because my dad took a pastoring job out there and I started taking the bus to school. And thankfully I had like 20 kids in my class at that time. Uh, so that was a little bit better, but my parents would joke about seeing me looking out the window on the bus and they would always see my older sister, Ragini. She was in the back of the bus with all her friends, just laughing away and talking and socializing. And that was really how it was for me growing up. Going to my elementary school, I had one or two close friends and everyone else I just would kind of watch and observe and wish that I could be friends with. And for those that were actually there that would hear this story now, they would probably scratch their heads and be like, what, Ronella was always so like smiley and happy and kind. Yeah, I was, but I was always in my head. And I was always looking around and wondering what people thought of me if I was enough in sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. I don't think I had anyone that liked me ever. <laughs> I just was, and if you're an Indian girl listening to this, you know that Indian girls are late bloomers. Um, just not my older sister. <laughs> so anyway, that narrative started kind of sticking in my head. Uh, fast forward to high school and I started coming into myself a little bit more. And my, um, you know, of course there were the normal kind of issues at home, um, ways that we wouldn't get along with parents sometimes, or just being in middle school and high school, all of that. And I just had these kind of deep seated beliefs about myself that, that um, kind of dictated everything that I did. So I was always in my head, always anxious, always worried what people thought of me, always trying to fit in. And actually the way that that energy funneled into my life that I redirected it was trying to get really good grades, being the teacher's pet, being perfect, going above and beyond in everything so that I could prove that I was as good as my sister. And if you talk to my sister, we've had conversations about this. Um, so many times and and you know i love her she's amazing and she knows this is nothing of her fault but just just the regular ways you know whether it's birth order or whatever it is just ways subconscious small ways that life kind of starts getting to us and so in high school i got recruited to go to a program during the summer and this summer program was a really Christian program. It was going door to door, selling Christian books, and we would also sign people up for Bible studies. We would send people up for health seminars. And we did this for 10 weeks for like six to eight hours a day. I mean, I really loved Jesus Christ. <laughs> like I really loved God and I wanted to do something for God. And also my sister happened to have done it the summer before. So it kind of felt like a natural path for me. And so I did it that summer and it actually really expanded me, obviously, you know, talking to a hundred people every day for 10 weeks, I definitely came out of my shell more. I became more confident and comfortable speaking to people and um you know talking about god uh I ha we had to memorize word for word we would do like speed drills and memorize this whole canvas and um and i started kind of feeling like i really was good at that and i was good at talking to strangers i was good at selling people literature uh, or books i guess like we call them books back then we call them literature um <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was I was good at it and the leaders loved me and we all became kind of this like big family that summer. The leaders loved me. They wanted other people to kind of follow my example. They would have me in charge of trainings and I was having some problems at home at this time because my parents had split up and I think I was really feeling very lost and confused in my life. I was already kind of lost and confused about who I was. A lot of my identity I had put in who my older sister was and, and kind of following her path that she had carved out. And then going to this program, I began to be more confident. I started feeling like I belonged. I felt like I could contribute somewhere. And I was receiving a lot of affirmation, a lot of you know encouragement and just you know, people 
really thought that I was doing very well in that program. And so it was actually interesting because looking back, I think I, it was a perfect storm for me to feel like my identity was safe there. And even though it was a beautiful thing, you know, I was doing something for God, I was doing um, quote unquote good. Um, I was also really heavily putting my identity in being a good religious girl and in being in a, a rule following person. And that summer went by, I went back to school and I became class president that year. And I wanted to, you know, make all these changes in the school. And I was also in, in, involved in leadership. I was involved in sports and in music and in so many things that were starting to really give me my sense of value and worth. And as a 33 year old now, looking back, I can just see how each of those blocks were being built. You know, that foundation was being built for me to put a lot of my worth and value in how I could perform, what I could accomplish, what I could do, and not necessarily in who I was because I didn't think that I was enough. And so maybe if I could do all these things, maybe if I could just, you know, be perfect, then I would finally start feeling like I was enough. And so go throughout high school and in high school, I still don't really have anyone that's crushing on me or that likes me. And in some ways that's not a terrible thing, but, um, but at the time, of course, when you're a teenager and everyone is, you know, like you just like find people making out in the corner and <laughs> everyone's talking about their crushes. And my sister has like all the guys after her. It was just another confirmation to me that I was just not cool. I wasn't pretty. I wasn't, you know, any of the things that I felt would make me love myself. I wasn't those things, but I could get good grades and I could do well in music and I could be a leader and I could do well, especially in this kind of religious environment that I had found myself a part of. I ended up going back to that program every summer for the next 12 years. <laughs> so not even like the next two summers, it was like I went back to that program as a student for, the, for three more years and then as a leader for the next like four or five years, and then as the trainer of the leaders, and then as the, you know, like co-director, assistant director to all the programs I was training the trainers. I mean, I just really went all into it. Um, it became kind of a source of identity for me because my identity was being that good, rule abiding, perfect girl. And it's just really interesting because everything started breaking down for me in my mid to late 20s. And I think this actually happens for a lot of people, developmentally speaking. By the time you, you know, you go throughout elementary school and middle school and high school and college, you have all this structure and you have all of you know, the ways that you're supposed to be and live. You have your school, you have your relationships, you have the time you're supposed to be at this class and all, all of those things are laid out for you. And then you leave college and you get into your mid twenties and you're working or you're just still trying to figure it out. And all of a sudden there's less structure. There's a little bit of less friends because they're all like moving back home or going away or, or finding jobs elsewhere. Um, there's just a little bit more space and time for you to really ask yourself, like, do I want to be doing this forever? Is this how I want to live my life? And I started sensing that around 25 or 26 because I was working for um, my church, which is like a global organization. So I was working for the church at different levels and had kind of put my academia aside and just never really gave myself the opportunity to know who I was. And again, this whole time working for God, doing all these wonderful, great things in my life, you know, speaking in front of thousands of people and traveling all around the world and training all these people and teaching people how to speak in public and doing all these things that I was just like very busy and 
and and and just kind of obsessed with doing my best in that world. And all of a sudden, when I was 26 or 27, I started realizing just how much I didn't know myself and how much I was kind of living out other people's dreams for me, how much I didn't believe in myself, how much I still felt deep down inside subconsciously that there was something wrong with me and you know that I was unwanted, unloved. By this point, I had had a couple of relationships and I started noticing in my relationships, I was really anxious. I would get into a relationship. And if you've read anything about attachment styles, I mean, by that point, I was two relationships deep and I still didn't know about attachment styles. So I learned this later in life, but I was totally an anxious, anxiously attached person. And so much of that had to do with my own sense of self that even though I was so busy in the world, running around, traveling all the time, living out of my suitcase, like I said, speaking in front of thousands of people, creating all these trainings, doing all these quote unquote big things that I felt like were big in my world, I still didn't like myself. I still didn't love myself. There was nothing that kind of, you know, there was nothing and no one that really could convince me that I was enough. And it all came out in how exhausted I started to feel in my late 20s when I was in relationships. And I would notice these patterns about myself when I would get into a relationship and I would just wonder when they would find me out. I was just wondering and waiting for them to leave me or waiting for them to decide that I wasn't good enough um, or that this other girl was prettier than me or better than me. Um, you know, then came the incessant questions or just the fear. There was so much fear. And if I could kind of describe my life in a certain way in my mid to late 20s, fear really started creeping in. And I thought that it was circumstantial for that time, but it was actually something that had lived with me for decades. And that was the fear of not being enough and the fear of being rejected, the fear of being abandoned. And so much of that stemmed from this, this deep-seated feeling of unworthiness. And so when I was 27, everything just kind of like started crumbling. I was in a relationship with this guy that was so kind and so sweet. I ended up moving out across the country. <laughs> I mean, I moved, guys, this is wild. I moved across the country when I was 27, and he was literally one of the only people I knew out there. I mean, I had some distant family friends, but he was one of the only people that I knew. And I had been let go from my job because of financial issues, and I had put all my identity in working at that job. And so now I was even more deep in this feeling of like, what have I done with my life? <laughs> what have I done with my life? I don't have a job. I'm moving across the country. My family doesn't want me to. I feel so disconnected from myself, but the only attachment I feel is to my boyfriend. And I moved out there, new job, new apartment, new roommate, new culture, new environment. Going, I decided to go back to school for nursing, and that was literally my default. My sister is a nurse. <laughs> my sister is a nurse. And so there's just, you know, like that was all I knew. That was my default. And so um, I, I jumped into nursing not knowing if I'd even like it. And, of course, I didn't like it. Uh, that's just not me. I'm not a good caregiver. <laughs> I'm not a good caretaker. Um, I mean, I take care of people, but I'm not good at, like, needles and like cleaning people up and details and like keeping people alive like no <laughs> but i still i did a year and a half of nursing prereqs and i gone into university of maryland and i was there for a semester before i finally realized like this ain't it i i'm not going to be happy and i know the day i get a nursing job i'm going to be trying to figure out a way out of it so i you know 
decided to quit that. And mind you, this whole time, I'm just so lost. I don't know. Do you know that feeling? And maybe you do if you're listening to this, like just that feeling of like, I can't feel myself. I don't know who I am. I'm making decisions out of survival. I'm just making them. I hate myself. I hate myself for all of the mistakes I've made in my life. I hate myself for being confused. I hate myself for not knowing what I'm supposed to do. I hate myself for being a failure. I hate myself for not being where I thought I would be by the time I was 27. I hate myself for, you know, just uh, failing. And honestly, I had to get to that rock bottom. And I think so many times we get to this point of identity crisis and we wonder what happened. Could I have prevented this? Whose fault was this? Why did this happen? And we don't realize this has been brewing and stewing and building for years because we've always been running away from the fear of not being good enough and in our pursuit of a different belief we rush and run to all sorts of things to relationships to careers to status to wealth we run to external identities that we pray and hope and wish and work hard to become our sense of value and worth and Oh, man, the truth of the matter is, and I think a lot of us realize this now and people are starting to realize it more, is that you can never run away from self-hate. You can never run away from the beliefs that you have about yourself that are not true. You can never run away. It will always follow you. It will always follow you. It will make your life feel like hell at some point until you stop to do that inner work, until you stop to say, maybe, maybe what I'm running away from, I shouldn't be running away from, maybe I need to face it. Maybe there is a different way. And if that's you, I'm just really proud of you. I'm really just proud of you for making it, for being here. That type of living is exhausting. It's emotionally exhausting. I just remember feeling so depressed, not wanting to, you know, going to sleep and just being like, I don't care if I don't wake up tomorrow. It's exhausting. It, it really just takes the light out of you. And, um, and I had to rebuild at that point. I hit rock bottom. Actually, I literally hit rock bottom. I came to a point in the middle of nursing school when my whole back and neck like seized up i could not breathe i don't know if it was a panic attack to this day i'm still not really sure what it was but i drove myself you know obviously i could drive myself to the er i i was having issues with my roommate at the time that was just a whole other thing that was causing so much stress and anxiety and i landed in the er and i i didn't want to ask her to take me um, and so I drove myself, even though I could barely breathe. And I was, you know, I got to the ER and I checked myself in and I was there till 3 a.m. just staring at these fluorescent lights being like, something's got to give. I hate my life. <laughs> I, I can't do this anymore. I, I don't even care what people think about me anymore. I can't live this way. And sometimes you have to get to that point. And it was just such a hard fall for me. And looking back now, that was just the most beautiful time of life. I'm so happy I got to rock bottom because then I was able to rebuild from there. And I had to start making some really tough decisions. And I just wanna pause and, and tell you that life is going to bring you all kinds of experiences and you're going to start building stories and you have already started building stories about yourself but there comes a point where you have to face them and you have to decide if they're continuing on with you or if this is it 
if you're gonna part ways. And that was the point that I came to. I had created all these stories about myself and finally decided this is it. This is where um, we say goodbye. And of course it wasn't that easy. Like it wasn't like, okay, I'm gonna stop hating myself. I believe in myself now. Okay, great, I love myself, bye. It was anything but. Um, it started off with some really tough decisions. And for those of you that are listening, you know, part of what self-love even is, is knowing yourself, living by your values, prioritizing self-care, setting boundaries, validating your own feelings, getting to know what your dreams are, what your desires and hopes and, and, you know, vision is for your life. It's speaking to and treating yourself like you would a best friend. It's building that self-trust. It's looking and feeling your best, allowing, giving yourself permission to create and dream a life that you're proud of. And the part of the reason that I didn't love myself and part of the reason that I um, was so steeped in self-hate was because I had never truly forgiven myself for not being enough. I hadn't forgiven myself and accepted that I actually was worthy. I hadn't felt my best. I wasn't living by my values. I wasn't prioritizing self-care. I was living other people's dreams for myself and I was so stuck and all of that made me hate myself because there's something deep down inside of us that knows we need to respect ourselves, that knows we need to have vision for our lives and feel confident and feel proud. And I didn't feel proud about myself because I wasn't measuring up in all the ways that I felt like I was supposed to measure up by that point in my life. I you know, based on all the externals and all the quote unquote successes and where I'm supposed to be at 27, I had pretty much failed all of them. And I think society puts so much pressure on us for no reason at all. I mean, life is, life continues on after you're 30. <laughs> it's to me better after you're 30. But I had hated myself for not measuring up and I had to learn to forgive myself not measuring up, first of all, to unrealistic expectations and expectations that just weren't part of my journey. And also forgive myself for um, engaging in self-hate for so long. And that was another part of the step. You know, I, I had to engage in that self-forgiveness. And then I had to ask myself some really freaking hard questions, really hard questions. Those questions included what do I really want for my life? What would a life look like that I felt proud of? What, what is it that I want? Not what other people want, not what my parents and my sisters, what I think would make them proud. Because the truth is, is that we have all these ideas in our minds about what would we think our friends and parents and society what they would admire in us, but it's actually not even true. We get to choose what they admire in us. We think, oh, my parents want me to do this. My, my sisters want me to do this. My, you know, my friends, they would admire me when. But you know what? The people that really love you and really care about you will love and admire and support and celebrate you when you're just happy. <laughs> when you're happy, when you're taken care of, when you're happy, you're healthy, and you're safe in life. And so I had to come back to the drawing board and recognize that I was worthy enough to ask myself, what do you want, Ranella? What is it that you really want in your life? And at that time, I just wanted to come back home. I wanted to come back to California. And I knew that would mean breaking up with my boyfriend. I knew I sure didn't want to be a nurse, but that would mean like quitting the program I was in. I hated being a quitter. I felt like, oh God, I just, I don't want to be a quitter, but I know this is not going to make me happy. 
and I really love this man, but I know I can't live in Maryland and I just don't think this is right for me. I don't think I've been happy in this relationship. And so I made some really big decisions and I quit my job. I quit nursing school. I quit Maryland and I packed up my bags and literally the day of my last class, because I did end up finishing the semester off because I was like, well, who knows if I go into nursing later or some of the sciences, it'll be good to finish my classes. So I finished off the semester <clears throat> and May 15, the day of my last class of that semester for nursing school, I had, was already packed up and I literally left my class and I drove to the airport to pick up my best friend who had flown in to drive back with me across the country to California. And that was probably the hardest season of my life ever. And by that point I was 29 and it was just so, so difficult to just feel like I was coming back to California with my tail between my legs, to feel like a failure. And looking back now, I realize I was just so in my head and no one else was thinking of that. But again, I was on this journey of learning to love and respect and trust myself. And so I came back to California. I made all these big, huge decisions that were just so scary, so incredibly scary. I was like, I, I, I could be making even more worse decisions. I don't, I don't know. But the one thing that I did know that is that I was following my intuition. And this time I was asking myself what I really wanted. And this time I wasn't listening to other voices. And this time I was taking a chance on me, taking a chance on what I needed to do with my life, no matter what other people thought. And, and if you're in that space right now, and if you're finding yourself in a space where you don't love yourself, where you hate who you've become, maybe it is time to stop and ask yourself, what is it that you need what is it that you want? How do you need to start taking control of your one life? Um, it's scary. It was the hardest thing ever. And I'm really glad that I did it. Obviously, I came back to California. I moved back in with my family, which was also hard in and of itself, even though I love my family. I was 29 coming back home. And I had, uh, you know, I had been living on my own actually since I was like 18. So, you know, in my 20s, I had had my own apartment. It was so wonderful. I had lots of independence all the way up until I was 29. And then I moved back home. Um, but there were so many lessons and so many things I needed to learn. And primarily the lesson of just finding myself, knowing myself, investing in my emotional and mental and physical. Um, I started going to therapy. And I remember going to see a therapist who um, heard my story and validated my emotions and started helping me to realize that everything I had experienced in life was building upon itself and that it wasn't because I wasn't, was not enough or invaluable. I just was learning. I'm a human and life had dealt some cards. <laughs> And I was learning how to deal with that. And I was learning what that meant for me. Everyone is dealt such different cards in life and we can't compare our cards to someone else. We can't compare our disadvantages to someone else's advantages. It's not apples to apples. Who we are when we're born into this world with this, the set of experiences and generational trauma and, and our families and what, uh, you know, our, our privileges and our access and all of that, it's just so different from the next person that we have to carve our own life out. We can't even co compare our life to our sibling because our sibling had a very different life from us, even if we grew up under the same household. Each sibling, and research is very clear about this, each sibling has a different set of parents. Each sibling has a different set of life experiences. You can't even compare yourself to the closest people to you because you are just so unique. And I think once you get to the point where you're able to say, I matter, my story matters, I'm valid, my experiences are valid, my challenges are valid, where I'm at 
is okay. It's a, an okay starting point when you're able to just validate all that and stop beating yourself down and telling yourself that you're not enough, that you're behind, that you're not good enough, that if only you were this person, then you would be an, oh, they probably talk about me in this way. Like, who cares? This is your one life. And until you get to that point, you will not be able to have a starting place that um, you know can help you progress. You're gonna always be coming back to this point right here and right now, to this point where you have to grieve. You gotta grieve. You have to grieve the loss of who you thought you were going to be. You have to grieve the loss of who you felt like you needed to be in order to be loved. You have to grieve the loss of relationships and identities and beliefs that you thought would stick around forever, but now they're not because now you are carving out your own life. That is what it means to start eliminating self-hate and to start loving yourself and your life is you absolutely have to start from ground zero. And that means grieving. It means accepting that where you're at is enough because your story is unique and you are not behind and you have so many talents and gifts and skills that are going to help you get to where you want to be to the point where you are proud of yourself. But for right now, right here today, you have to accept that you've spent a lot of time against yourself and that it's not going to work anymore like that. That self-hate is actually not helpful. Yeah, you, you use it to protect you, to protect you from disappointment, but it's not helpful anymore. All the times that you limit your beliefs and, and start dreaming and then you're like, no, 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 that can't happen for me. You know, that's, that's a limiting belief that you think is protecting you, but it's harming you. And so you have to let that go. You have to come to the point where you are willing to grieve the losses and grieve the fact that no, you're not where you thought you'd be, but now you actually have a foundation to build off of and better freaking late than never. Better now than in a year, better now than in five years, better now than in 10 years, because I promise you the people that you see on social media, on TV, in the movies, the people at work, other people that look happy and quote unquote, have it all together, you do not know their story. You don't, you don't know the external identities that they have held onto that they're gonna have to face one day. Maybe they haven't hit their midlife crisis and here you are, you're hitting your quarter life crisis and guess what, that's okay too. Everyone has a unique story and I'm not saying like, you know, everyone's gonna go through this rock bottom experience, but I think a lot of people do and I think it's pretty normal. And so give yourself the space to just be a human. You're a human. You're not a robot. You are not someone that has to work and prove and earn love. Maybe your upbringing showed you that. Maybe your parents weren't as involved as you wanted them to be. Maybe they weren't involved at all. Maybe you didn't receive the love that you needed to, but you know what? Now you're an adult and now you can choose to surround yourself with that love. You can find those people. You can begin with yourself, how you talk to yourself, how you love yourself. This is where we begin. We be begin at rock bottom. We begin with a foundation. We can't go any lower. We start forgiving ourselves. We start validating our emotions instead of hating ourselves and being like, oh, I'm so dumb. I'm so, why couldn't you? Why didn't you? You should have. Instead of that, we start saying, you know, that does make sense. It, it makes sense given your upbringing. It makes sense given your disadvantages. It makes sense given, you know, all the craziness of the last couple of years or what you went through or this trauma or whatever it is. There's a reason you're at where you're at today and, and it's not because you're unworthy or you're a bad person or you're not capable. It's just is. 
And when you can accept that and start validating your feelings instead of hurting yourself, then you've got a place to start. And so when you have come to that point, like I did when I was 29, 27 to 29, uh, I started going back to therapy. Oh my gosh, I started journaling. I mean, I journal all the time. I, I have boxes of journals, but I journaled so much over the next few years. I would take my journal and I would go to, you know, I'd drive up to Big Sur, which is a beautiful, sacred healing place that I love in Central California. I would go, you know, out to Yosemite. I would go to the mountains. I would put up a hammock. I would go to the beach. I would sit in my bed and I would just journal for hours asking myself, like trying to get to know Renella. Like, what do you like? Who are you? Who's hidden beneath the facade of the good religious girl who has to be perfect? What if you stripped away all the things that you thought made you, you? And you started just asking yourself, what are your values? What feels good to you as far as self-care? What do you wish you could do in setting boundaries with people? What would make you actually feel like you have energy at the end of the day, at the end of your life, at the end of this year, at the end of 10 years, at the end of five years, what would make you feel happy? What gives you joy? What lights up your life? What are your passions, the things that you would do for free if no one paid you, but you just love because that's who you are? What are those things? What are your skills, the things that you're, you're good at? And what are your values? These are the things, this is my moral compass. This is what I believe about how you should treat people, how, what I believe about how I should treat myself. These things matter. And I started getting to know myself. I started getting to know what type of person I wanted to become, what I believed about God, what I believed about faith, spirituality, how I wanted to show up in the world. And little by little, I began to build self-trust. I began putting myself first, to be quite honest. And to, you know, to someone who grew up Christian, especially as a woman, especially as an Asian female Christian. I mean, those are just all the, it's a quadruple whammy of perfectionist. You know, you feel like you have to be giving and giving and giving and, you know, doing so much for other people or else you're not a good Christian. You're not a good woman. You're not a good daughter. You're not a good friend, whatever. And I just started putting myself first and not in a selfish way, but in a healthy human way. And I began to love what I found. And that was new. I began to speak to myself differently. I would journal and write down, okay, how would I talk to a best friend? You know, my therapist would kind of help me see areas where I was not treating myself the same way I was treating my friends. How would I talk to someone that I really cared about? Now, how could I start talking to myself in that same way? And and those are just the, the ways that I began to rebuild. That is self-love. Self-love is self-knowledge. It's self-acceptance. It's self-forgiveness. It's not running away from ourselves. It's not substituting a love for ourselves for something else, external validation, a relationship that we feel will finally fulfill us, will finally give us that feeling we've been hoping for. Not at all. It is us sitting with who we are, taking time to get to know ourselves, loving what we find, doing the hard work of speaking to ourselves like we would a best friend and making tough choices, tough decisions that align with our happiness and with our joy. And so that's a little bit of my story. I'm so grateful because in the last four or five years, you know, I, I ended up going to, I, I decided I wanted to go back to school, but not for nursing, but for psychology and to be a therapist and um, to be a coach, to coach people on their lives. I did my master's in counseling psychology and I worked with a bunch of families and preschoolers at San Bernardino County and it was just a beautiful experience. And even now seeing clients and starting my coaching program and being able to help people 
lift out of that muck and mire and kind of find that solid ground is just um, just something that lights me up and I'm so passionate about. And so I want to encourage you, you know, you're not too far gone. Life isn't ending for you now. People aren't talking about you. You aren't, you know, worthless. You have so much to offer the world. You are kind. Your intentions are good. You've always been a kind person. You do what you can to help others. And yeah, maybe you've been in a time of survival, but it doesn't lessen your value or worth at all. And so as you go throughout this year, I hope you're able to extend a level of compassion to yourself that you think is unfair. I mean, that's honestly what it is. Whenever you feel like you don't deserve self-compassion, that's when you deserve it the most. You know, yeah, you're going to have to learn lessons. You're going to have to make decisions. You're going to have to shift trajectories, but you never merit self-hate. There's never a time where you deserve to hate yourself ever. And so I hope you're compassionate. I hope you're loving towards yourself. I hope you extend forgiveness and allow yourself to start wherever you need to start today instead of looking back on regret and in regret and thinking, I could have been here, I should have been there. No, you're right where you need to be. Right here, listening to this podcast, driving, walking, cleaning, whatever you're doing in this present moment, you are right where you need to be and you're okay. And so with that, I wish you all the best this year. Go to the show notes and find ways to connect. I would love to connect with you on Instagram. Life with Renella. Um, got a lot of resources coming out for you, including a self-love mini workbook that you can find on my Instagram. So I'd love for you to go and, and sign up for that. And I will see you soon. Don't be a stranger. Until next time. Hey, if you enjoyed today's episode, let's continue the conversation and stay connected on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube, all linked in the show notes below. Let us know your thoughts or leave a review on the podcast. Your feedback really does mean so much to us. Until next time.